Hey everyone, um, I'm starting off this episode differently than normal. I'm going to get into the regular intro and what I already had recorded after this, but in the process of making this episode and putting it together, um, something happened that I believe is way more necessary and important for me to speak about at the top of this show than anything else, and that being the news that Trevor Sternad, who was the vocalist of the Black Dolly murder, passed away um just super sudden like you know he was active on social media and just it's one of those things where it's like you know you can't see what's going on and uh yeah it sucks it really really fucking sucks and i think when uh when tim from dance given dance passed i had said like You know, we as a scene have already been dealing with so much loss in such a short span because I think it's been like, what, like six or seven weeks now since uh, Taylor from Foo Fighters and Keaton from Tickles Touch passed. And I didn't even mention recently that Tarsi, who used to be an artist versus poet, he also passed away. So like, you know, it it's a lot. It's a lot for us to be dealing with. It's a lot for us to handle. Um, I personally, you know, I know I haven't really spoken about Black Dolly Murder too much on this podcast since its inception, if I've ever even mentioned them before, um, you know, other than the, uh, the line from Heavy Metal by Booming the Horizon about Black Dolly Murder, um, they were one of the earliest death metal bands to like kind of invigorate my interest in that genre. And I guess in a way they kind of helped mold what I have, uh, you know, grown to love when it comes to death metal and death core and any other genre that took influence from Black Dolly Murder and Trevor's vocals and just the, you know, the immeasurable impact that that band had. And there are so many bands that I have covered on this show who they would not exist without the impact of Black Dolly Murder and the impact of Trevor and just you know, everything surrounding that band and what they created and inspired. So there aren't really any details about his death right now, um, except for the fact that the statement put out by Black Dolly Murder included the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So, you know, you take that for, for what it is and what it's worth. Um, I do want to go ahead and before closing out this part, emphasize to all of you the importance of mental health, the importance of mental stability, being able to reach out to people, you know, just never feeling, and this is something that I can work on too, but like never feeling like you are a burden or a nuisance for reaching out. Like if it is going to help you and help those around you who love you, please, please reach out. Um, if you, the listener right now, or anybody close to you is in a place of need, a place of danger right now, um, I encourage everyone to reach out. Uh, the number is 800-273-8255. Again, that is 800-273-8255. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and get the intro going and just, you know, say my closing words about this rest in peace trevor and all of my best you know wishes and thoughts and prayers to everybody in black dolly murder all of trevor's family and friends and anybody in the community who is affected by this ulterior i guess i'll start this episode following up on something that i said at the beginning of last week's in the sense of giving myself time and space to be able to hear new releases that have no place in ulterior for one reason or or another genre limitations or whatever you want to call it. Um, the Jack Harlow record, uh, I saw a lot of, um, disparaging, let's put it that way. Uh, that's actually lightly put, but a lot of disparaging things were said about it on Twitter. I actually have no problem with it. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, same thing with the new Kendrick Lamar single, and that record drops this Friday, the Friday that this episode is releasing, and hopefully the Friday that you're hearing this, if that makes sense. 
Uh, so go check that out when it drops. But also check out uh, all the music that I'm going to be discussing today. Uh, because we have new singles from the likes of Dance Gavin Dance, Thousand Below, Chase Atlantic, Varials, a couple of others I want to get into, and then brand new records. This was a great week for records, by the way, guys. A lot of variety, and I'm excited about that. Drippin' So Pretty, Alice in Wonderland, Wind Waker, Silverstein, and Stand Atlantic. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy this episode. There's nothing really like news related or like a news topic for the scene that I want to cover this week, but I will mention this because I thought it was funny to me and I just had a scenario in my head. Uh, so I saw this tweet that said, um, in 2005, the John Cena album sold 143,000 copies in its first week. If anybody from the scene ever sniffs 143,000 copies moved first week, they would shit themselves. Like, <laughs> I, I think the tweet also said, like, dude's a fucking legend or whatever. Like, yeah, no shit. Like, that's insane. For anybody, that's insane. And yeah, again, there was nothing really news related, so I'm just going to go ahead and get into the music now. The number one ranked song in Scenic Overlook this past week came from Dance Gavin Dance. It is Pop Off. This is the second single off of Jackpot Juicer, which is scheduled to drop on July 29th, but it is the first one to release after Tim's sudden passing a few weeks ago, and um, just kind of like steer away from Pop Off for a second, I do want to commend the band right now for moving ahead with not only this record cycle and rollout, but also Swanfest and the tour they're on currently in the wake of all of that. Uh, Tim is in this music video, and I believe uh, Tillian or Andrew or someone else in the band said he's on, uh, he's in the next video as well. Um, and then as for this video for Pop Off, it is as eccentric and chaotic as anyone could expect or desire a Dance Give a Dance video to be. And sonically, Pop Off is no different. Um, the lead single for the album, Synergy, was fucking goaded and i believe i expressed that thoroughly when i reviewed it a few weeks ago but i think pop off has like some bit of an edge that i'm giving it over synergy um and i might just be going off of like some of the melodies found here like in the pre-chorus the way that the song kind of um diminishes some of its uh energy for tillian to have a pathway to show off the in incredible vocal abilities that we've all known Tillian has possessed for the entire duration of his career and his tenure with Dance Given Dance. Um, Pop-Off is just fucking amazing, guys. I can't express that enough. Um, like, this is what I come to Dance Given Dance for. This is the exact kind of energy that I want out of that band. And, uh, you know, with Synergy and then now Pop-Off, uh, we're... I don't want to say like we're looking at maybe one of the best Dance Gavin Dance records ever because we're only two songs into what is like a 16 or an 18 track record from my understanding. I'm going to check real quick what it was because uh, I remember I saw it and I was like, man, that is fucking, okay, 18 tracks. Jesus, dude. Jackpot Juicer just got some bullshit going on, um, but hopefully some goaded bullshit. And I believe that's what's going to happen. So there's another new Memphis Mayfire song, and I'm just going to end up repeating what I've said before about them. Uh, so the song is Your Turn. And I know I've gone on this spiel before, but like just 
you know, allow me that space one more time because this is the final single ahead of Remade in Misery out on June 3rd, I think it is. June 3rd? No, June 3rd. I was going to say June 10th, but I think that's motionless. June 3rd. Um, so it, it's cool that Memphis is good again. Like, it's really, really cool, but at the same time, it's, I don't know, it like, I don't want to say upsets me because that's not, not the right word, but like, I spent years, like ever since, um, like post challenger years and years and years, just shitting on this band every chance I got, because I thought they had become the most generic, plain, uninspired act in metalcore. And then ever since blood and water last year, they've grown a level of consistency that I didn't think they had in them, but they've suddenly found it. Uh, they have restored every bit of goodwill that they ever lost with me. Um, your turn is just everything that they've been demonstrating so far. Like, you know, so far this year with American Dream, Make Believe, and now your turn. Memphis Mayfire is, they're not only good again. Let me put, put it that way. Not only are they good again, they legitimately could be one of the best bands in the world right now. And I never once foresaw that being the case. So last week, Chase Atlantic released the deluxe edition of Beauty and Death, which was their 2021 record. And I believe my fifth favorite album of the year overall, or record, I mean, um, whatever the case was, absolutely perfect record, a, a milestone in my fandom for not only Chase, but music altogether. Um, so on this deluxe edition, there were three new songs that had never been released before. I'm going to single out one of them right now, Stranger Things. The other two singles, or not singles, but new songs were Chase and Cold Nights. Both of them are incredible. Of course, they're going to be incredible. It's fucking Chase Atlantic I'm talking about right now. Um, but Stranger Things, there is something about the cadence of this track and the delivery of it on the part of all members of Chase that elevates it above the other new songs, in my opinion. Um, and it even like makes it measurable to the best songs on Beauty and Death. Like, I am looking at Stranger Things in the same limelight as Call Me Back or Wasted or Molly even. Like, this song fucking goes. And, you know, it has all the attributes that I could ask for out of Chase. It has the, the wary, like, the wariness to it, the, the emo nature kind of mixed in with that, like, just arrogant, don't really give a fuck melody going. Um, if I had to compare it to something, I would say there are sections of Stranger Things that remind me of Angels, which was off of Phases back in 2019, but mixed with some of the, you know, more, I don't want to say aggressive tones, because aggressive is not the word used for Chase Atlantic, but like those arrogant tones, you know, like um, like an oh mommy, that um, carelessness to the delivery, and carelessness in the best way possible, um... Stranger Things just like has those elements mixed in and then factoring in the the pitch change at the end of it th that elevates it. Um, everything about Stranger Things works incredibly well. One of my favorite Chase Atlantic songs I've ever listened to. And in my opinion, that says a lot given how much I fucking adore that band. Fucking finally at last, we have a new Thousand Below single. It is called Venenosa. I don't think you guys understand the magnitude to which I have been hoping for and desiring a chance to gas up Thousand Below on this podcast, because in my personal opinion, they have been one of the best and most important acts to come into the scene over the last number of years. Um, so with Venenosa, uh, this one's kind of interesting because I feel like this sound of this one single 
encompasses the overall sound of the 2000 Below records, The Love You Let Too Close and Gone In Your Wake. You have the emotional factor of Gone In Your Wake and that melody delivered by James DeBerg. And then at the same time, in some sections of Venenosa, the heaviness is turned up in a way that is not so reminiscent of Gone In Your Wake, but rather The Love You Let Too Close. Um, I just feel like no matter what sound this band embarks on, there's no way that they can possibly miss. They've never missed yet. I have every bit of confidence in the world for Thousand Below on this upcoming new record, whenever it's going to drop. I, I assume this year, I fucking hope it's this year. Uh, yeah, Venenosa is a perfect lead single for whatever direction Thousand Below will be taking. Uh, Varials. I don't believe I've ever mentioned them before on this podcast. Uh, that's about to change. Brand new single, The Cycle of Violence, Chapter 1. Not that I haven't mentioned Varials because I don't like them or anything. Uh, I thought their last album, In Darkness, from 2019, it was actually, like, borderline stellar, if I'm being honest. Uh, but that was the last time they were active, so I just haven't had the opportunity to really speak about them. And part of that inactivity is because of uh, some shit that went down with their prior vocalist, Travis, in 2020, and... Um, not, I'm not really going to get into it on here. Uh, y'all can look it up if you're unfamiliar with the situation, uh, because it was, it, it, it was very public and not pretty to put it lightly. Um, but looking at the cycle of violence, I think it's actually elevated beyond what varials were doing before. And I don't think that can be entirely attributed to just Mitch being on lead vocals. It, it sounded like Everyone in the band stepped up and delivered something that can have legitimate staying power for myself throughout this year. It is heavy and chaotic and just like, I guess, unapologetic in all those realms. Um, you know, it's just a really good hardcore song with metalcore influences that I thought was very impactful. The final single that I will be giving its own spotlight to for this episode comes from Your Misery, and it is When I Am Not. This is the second single to their name so far, following up on Your Hope, which dropped back in, I believe, February, maybe January. Um, the, the time period's kind of escaping me right now, but um, I did like that song, but what I will say is that this new one, When I Am Not, is one of those songs that still managed to come out of seemingly nowhere and just knock me on my ass, bro. Uh, from the intro that encompasses that melodic 2000s style that will always invigorate this sense of nostalgia within me, and then to the incredible vocal performance by Nick that spills into the song's giant chorus, um, this is just like a straight-up dub, like, all the way through. Uh, and then even when the he the heaviness is just, like, slightly ramped up, um, everything about it still sounds like composed and cohesive in a way that shows just how much of like uh i guess quote unquote the game that your misery studied and that makes me feel very confident in all of their abilities moving forward as a band these were the remaining songs from last week that i said on social media i gave either a four or a five two in the reviews a pass embrace by 156 silence three cheers for five years by boys of fall Chase by Chase Atlantic, Cold Nights by Chase Atlantic, Half-Life by Dream Awake, The Hymn by Floya, The Chase by Gucci Highwaters, Pumbachu by Jason Richardson and Luke Holland, Don't Try by Joyce Manor, Run Better Run by Lonely Spring, Children of Light by Meg Myers, Everything's Fine by MNYS, Last Cigarette by Mothica featuring Aura, Shed My Skin by Oakrest, Envy by Rowley V, Fear and Company by Rise in Vain, Three by Straight from the Path, Currents by Sunsleeper, The Me You Know by Tilly, 
Your Favorite Jacket by Valley Heart, Tear Me Down by Vampires Everywhere, Hang Fire by Windwalkers, and Memories by Youngblood featuring Willow. Which, that song had a cameo from Valkyrie in the music video for some reason, uh, which only made me want to see more like random streamer appearances in scene songs moving forward. Like, I well, I want to see Saikuno in the next Alpha Wolf video, just to throw a random occurrence out there. So now I'm going to go ahead and get into the records from last week. There were five to get through, and I kind of want to keep it short, so let's aim for roughly five minutes per release. Hopefully I can adhere to that. I probably won't, but, you know, always put an effort, I guess. And I'm going to start off big. I'm going to start off with one of the... Is it one of the biggest albums of the year? Probably, actually. It probably is. Misery Made Me by Silverstein. So there are some bands who, when I have the chance to talk about them on this show, it just brings out like a certain level of excitement that not many other acts have obtained, and absolutely no fucking doubt about it, Silverstein is one of them. This is a veteran act that warrants that status, and they warrant the reverence that so many people speak about them with. Um, For myself personally, like, all, all the way back to when I was in middle school, like they have been there for me. Like I don't, I can't emphasize to you guys just what an album like discovering the waterfront meant to me and what it did for me. And the way that that record still acts as like a foundation of my fandom for this kind of alternative music. Um, admittedly though, about silver scene, there was a stretch, not a big one, but just a stretch where, I thought that maybe they weren't operating at their best. Uh, so like from 2013 to 2015. So the two records, this is how the world shifts and I am alive in everything I touch. Not bad by any means, but just not where I believed Silverstein could uh, reach their full potential or their full capabilities and the prowess that I knew they possessed. But once Dead Reflections dropped in 2017... I felt that the course was corrected and Silverstein were back where they belonged, right at the fucking top. Um, and that was only furthered with A Beautiful Place to Drown, which released back in March of 2020. And because of its time frame, it, it, it dropped, I believe, March 6th. So um, right before everything went to shit or right in the midst of everything beginning to just become so, um, you know, chaotic and um, apoplectic, to put it lightly, I guess, considering the state of the world at that point in time. And that gave me a lot of time to spend with A Beautiful Place to Drown, more than I probably would have given it. Not that I wasn't going to give it any time, but just being stuck home, you know, no immediate school to attend, nothing of like uh, responsibilities to adhere to. I was able to listen to that record front to back so many fucking times. And Maybe that connection has kind of made it unfair when it comes to the standards that I am going to hold Misery Made Me up to. Um, and I, I guess to like kind of give or be more specific about that. There were three songs on A Beautiful Place to Drown that whenever they come up and shuffle still to this day, like everything I'm doing stops and my focus is on those three songs. Burn It Down, September 14th, and Where Are You? Uh, the Burn It Down got single stream in 2019, so I kind of like, you know, was able to have a connection to it prior. September 14th, um, there are a lot of personal matters about that song that I just don't really want to get into, but, uh, you know, just like the the chorus talking about like, um, this can't be happening, it, it did something to me. It sparked something within me. And then, Where Are You? I don't think Where Are You is my favorite Silverstein song ever, but it is top five, top three even, guys. Like, I fuck with that song immensely. And is there a song on Misery Made Me that I'm going to look at in that same limelight? Um, I don't know yet. I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes. I'm saying that I don't really know exactly. Uh, because there is material on here that could get to that point. I just don't know if it's going to happen. 
one of those songs being It's Over, which was a single back in November, I believe. And it was named as one of my top 100 favorite songs of 2021. And I still stand by how incredible It's Over is. That song just is so uh, impactful and ferocious and just something that I'm able to kind of like sink my teeth into. Uh, I, I I think the, uh, like to point out another highlight, the Nothing Nowhere featured song called Live Like This. I think that shows off a lot of versatility on the part of Silverstein for not only like having someone outside of their realm like Nothing Nowhere have a spotlight here, but also because of their execution on their part of a song that admittedly, like I think it takes on sort of a like a hybrid theory, that's the spirit type of sound. And those are two of my favorite albums ever made. So of course I'm going to gravitate towards Live Like This. Um, and that style for Sourcing, it worked out tremendously in my opinion, since it's my favorite uh it's my favorite of the new songs from last week, if that makes any sense. The new songs that came with this record and not any of the ones that were already singles, because I still think it's over is my favorite, but just of the non-singles well, Live Like This was a single, but it was a single earlier in the week. I don't fucking know what I'm saying anymore, guys, but Live Like This is really, really good. Um, I think if you're looking for something more, like, thunderous and fast-paced from Silverstein, then you're gonna find what you're looking for immediately through the opening track, Our Song, and that one channels, like, this almost punk-like nature from Silverstein, and to me, that is perfectly contrasted by the closing song, Misery, which has this really beautiful and somber acoustic tone to it and you know that adds to what i already said about the versatility of the band um there is the standout song the altar slash mary which has some fucking insane production on it uh both for the heavy and melodic ends of that side um i also think the way that the song starts to like fade in and out repeatedly towards the end with this electronic vibrancy going for it um like genuinely that part alone is a fucking stamp on the record's effectiveness um and i think to go back to something that i mentioned with nothing nowhere there are also the new songs cold blood featuring trevor daniel which molds itself to fit trevor's more like laid back and pop centric style and then there is also slow motion featuring mike ranica from the devil wears prada um, and with that song, the pathway is perfectly paved for Mike to do his thing on the breakdown and give Misery Made in Me the kind of additional metalcore layer that I will always be looking for from Silverstein. And I guess just kind of like wrap up my thoughts on the album overall. To go back to what I mentioned earlier with uh, the run that they've been on, Dead Reflections, and then Into A Beautiful Place to Drown, uh, Misery Made Me is right there with them. It's a very, very solid addition to the discography of Silverstein. Um, it's not my favorite release of theirs. Definitely not my least favorite, though. This is, like, sitting comfortably near the top right now. Um, I think with more listens, this album's uh, effectiveness on me and the staying power can only be uh, exaggerated. Um, this only has the ability to go up for me. I think I give it, like, a nine and a half, and that's the reason why, because... Um, do I think it's as good as Dead Reflections or Beautiful Places Drown? No. Can it be in the future? Yes. I do not deny the possibility of that happening. And it's genuinely just really, really, really fucking cool to see a band who has been around for as long as Silverstein still be delivering some of the best material they've ever written. Let me dive into the new Drippin' So Pretty album called Big Trade. I look this girl straight at her eyes. She wanna fuck, she can't deny. A thousand times I could've died. A thousand tears fell from her eyes. You just got out another side of me. They don't make a pill for my anxiety. I'm nervous on my bang and stay beside me. And I'm behind this tent so ain't no finding me. Oh, I know you hate it. I said earlier that I was making space for me to listen to music outside of the scene, like Future and Jack Harlow. Um, Drippin' So Pretty does fall into the scene umbrella so this is kind of my workaround to being able to talk about hip-hop today um so i first came across Trippin' so pretty back at the start of 2021 when i was actively looking for artists i hadn't heard of before for the purpose of covering them on ulterior because i knew from the start i didn't want this platform to just be about the bands i was already familiar with i wanted new artists and i've been able to get them and Trippin' so pretty was one of them um Right away from hearing the song called Rest in Peace, I kind of figured that he was going to be someone who 
I would like, I guess, keep a finger on the pulse of because of just how much his take on the emo hip hop subgenre resonated with me. Um, from there, he put out an album that shared the name with the song Rest in Peace. And I do think that record somewhat fell into a similar pit to what I think might have gone wrong with Betrayed in some areas. And when I say wrong, I mean just some of these songs, while still being good, not really having the same strength as some of my favorite songs on here. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and start off with the opening song and the title track, Betrayed, which is my favorite off of the album. It did get singles treatment back at the start of April, and I remember highlighting it in the singles rundown for that week's episode. I really, really, really fuck with the little guitar melody that it has going for the intro. And then once Trippin' So Pretty comes in, his cadence like takes over and some of my favorite bars from the record come from that one song. Gave you my heart, but now you want to leave it. She been feeding like pills on the weekend. I was so low, I was gone off the deep end. And while I do think that there are a lot of songs that keep up the energy built up by Betrayed, like misfit or target on my head or i don't want to feel like this anymore just to name a few this album requires some fucking commitment to say with it um it is 16 songs long but only 38 minutes so to me at least it didn't really feel like all of the tracks truly got enough time to breathe and like come into their own in the way that i would have wanted them to um A good example of a song on here being allowed that time that I said some of them don't uh, is A Thousand Tears, which is my other favorite song on the record alongside the title track as of right now. It's only like three seconds shy of three minutes or maybe less than that, and it utilizes every bit of that runtime to craft one of the best emo hip-hop songs to come into my stratosphere in recent memory. I think the beat is great, the subject matter cuts, uh, Drip So Pretty's delivery is excellent, uh, A Thousand Tears is genuinely a highlight from last week, and one of the songs that was like right on the cusp of scenic overlook. Um, there are four songs that I want to point out now as being just slightly underwhelming, at least in comparison to the rest of the material present here. Paralyzed, Yeah, Frostbite, and Hellhound. With Paralyzed, the 8-bit backing track was more of like a distraction than anything that could entice me. Um, There was something similar going for Yeah, and I just wasn't able to get behind it. Um, And then some of the vocal effects that were on that song, I just didn't really feel were necessary for somebody with the talent and abilities of Drippin' So Pretty. Um, The vocal performance on Frostbite felt very flat when I knew exactly how good he can be and then hellhound this one's kind of confusing to me because i don't think it did anything wrong there's nothing tangible that i can pull from it like i was the other ones i was able to the other songs i mean but i just couldn't make the kind of attachment to it that i would have liked because i fuck with the name of the song heavily um the record does leave listener with one of its best songs as the closer long time which to kind of bring back to what I mentioned about Silver Scene and the acoustic style of Misery, Long Time does something similar, but with all of Drippin' So Pretty's best characteristics laced in, and he's able to craft a song that, uh, if you're able to get through the whole record, you're definitely rewarded with at the end. Um, so to, I guess just kind of circle back to Rest in Peace because that was my introduction to Drippin' So Pretty. In comparison, I probably do still prefer Rest in Peace. If anything, just because that record is a little bit shorter, it's a little bit easier to digest. But some of the complaints, I guess, grievances that I had with that record, they might not have been entirely fixed with Betrayed, but the material here that delivered and was like the uh, the pinnacle of Drippin' So Pretty's effectiveness last week, they're going to stick with me. You know, the title track and Thousand Tears, I've been able to go back to so often, um, really, really good songs. And, you know, I don't want the negatives to kind of, uh, stick with this review. I want to emphasize the positives because there are definitely a lot here. Um, I think with, um, moving forward, 
could Dripper So Pretty reach the next echelon of his trajectory? Yes. And honestly, I expect him to, because he has shown enough prowess for me to have trust in him to deliver. Um, maybe that trust doesn't expand for an entire record, but it expands for enough of a runtime to where I'm able to sit here and tell all of you guys about why I fuck with Dripper So Pretty and why I think he is vital to emo hip hop right now. And right now we're going to stay on that lingering line between seen and not seen so that I can talk about the brand new Alice in Wonderland album, Loner. In this household of Ulterior, we stand the fuck out of Alice in Wonderland. Um, she would have been perfect, or she still is perfect, but like in the early 2010s period where like I was really, really starting to find new EDM artists and appreciate them, Allison would have fit perfectly into that time frame, but I'm also grateful that she's able to come around now because I don't get to listen to a lot of people like Allison who are able to take that EDM sound and like really, really captivate me the way that she's been able to. Um, so Loner is, if I'm not mistaken, her third record. There was Run in 2015 and then Awake in 2018. Um, so I will say that I prefer Awake substantially more than Run. Run is good, but there's something about Awake that felt so, um, like impactful and just like a, a big part of my development over the last number of years when it comes to, um, learning how to, relearning rather, how to appreciate non-scene music because there was a period in the mid-2010s where maybe I wasn't like dipping into anything outside the scene so much. So Allison was a good way for me to kind of like come back into that space that I really wanted to. Um, there is a song on Awake called Church that is just fucking everything to me, guys. Church is one of the catchiest songs I've ever listened to in my life. That hook is fucking magnificent. And then in 2019, she had a standalone single called Peace that, it might be one of the most important songs I've ever heard, at least the last couple of years. Peace came to me at a time where I needed something like that to just like ground me and uh, like wrap itself around my brain and just try and keep me calm because I was not calm at the time. I was freaking out about a lot of shit. I still am to this day, but Peace was able to do so much good for me and that is kind of what I was looking for out of Loner. I was looking for something here that I could latch onto and just hold close to my heart and exemplify as being me, as being mine. Did I get that? Yes. Yes, I did. And like to kind of put an emphasis on that, just from the opening song, Forever, I am wrapped up by these kind of emotions, once again from Allison and I spoke about that back when I covered Forever as a single a few weeks ago. The hook of It Will Feel Like Forever Until It Doesn't is something that's been like kind of embedded into my brain ever since I heard this song for the first time. And it has the type of electronic backing that is able to exemplify and accentuate Allison's style while still being able to remain like calm and in like a like a weird way, holding your hand through all of this in preparation for the rest of the album. Um, I also want to point out the song Fuck You, Love You, which was a single back in December, and it was also the final song to be ranked number one in Scene Go Overlook for season one. Uh, that remains one of the best Alice in Wonderland songs I've ever heard, and I really, really love the like dark and menacing elements incorporated into it. Um, I, I don't think that there was a single miss with any of the singles that were rolled out prior to Loner. Um, Bad Things, Fear of Dying, and New Day. All of them still fuck the exact same way they did as singles. And that's basically floated all the way through the remainder of these songs. Um, Safe Life has some of the more charming vocal moments from Allison that I heard on the record in terms of both delivery and lyrical matter. 
Took my time, but I live fast because I don't want my life to pass me by. Never thought about the future when it's not too late to make it b- better before I die. Uh, something real, which I accidentally labeled on social media as Soothing Real, is another one of those tracks that's just like really chill and has almost like, uh, if, if this makes any sense to anybody, the same vibes as like those uh, 24-hour lo-fi chill things you would see on YouTube. Um, the song Thirst has one of my favorite chorus, uh, beat drops because of like the sort of TV static effect that it has going for it, um, in terms of production. And I feel like that's perfectly mixed in with the synth elements that make Allison choruses the juggernauts that they are. Um, Cocaine might be the most cathartic song on the record, not only for Allison, but also anyone who listens to this track. And can picture someone in their head who it, it would be like targeted towards lyrically. Oh God, I feel so sorry for you. It must be hard to do what you do. Your opinions suck. The more you talk, the less I give a fuck. And all the cocaine in the world won't make you cool. And all these girls don't really like you and neither do I. Um, but then the vibes are like kind of returned to the chill form by the time the closer, which is the title track comes in. And Allison is able to let the listener have another go at an emotional tale before the album finishes. Um, so how do I feel about this record in comparison to Allison's prior material? I definitely do like it more than Run, I can say that for sure. Um, Awake? That one... And maybe it's a, it's a time and place thing because Awake was like perfect for me in that 2018-2019 period. And then so was Peace as a single. Um, and there were some songs on Loner that, you know, I needed to hear when I got them, like Fuck You, Love You, and Forever. Those songs are going to remain with me in my rotation for a long time because of what they mean to me. Um, I think there's still room for this record to grow on me. And not that it it's, has any uh, need to grow on me because I love it, but just in terms of being able to look at it the same way that I did Awake, I don't think it's impossible. I think a little bit more time with Loner, and that's the, the one downside to, you know, having to record these episodes within like a couple days of hearing the album for the first time. Um, I don't know what that saying power is going to be. I, I imagine it's going to do really, really well, but just, you know, compared to Awake, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Allison fucking did an excellent job with loner i love this record i can't recommend it enough to all of you whether you fuck with edm or not go check this out the debut album by wind waker it is called love language This was a bit of a weird one for myself because prior to the singles rollout for this record, I had never heard of Wind Waker before, and there wasn't a ton of material to go through of theirs, but it just seemed like from what I could glance at on social media, with every new single for Love Language, there was anticipation building, and it, it came from both people who had been familiar with Wind Waker and then those who were just being introduced to them. I vaguely remember Sam from the Save the Scene saying something along the lines of, uh, Wind Waker is one of the most exciting bands that he's discovered recently. And I can totally understand why. And in a way, I am in alignment with that opinion. Um, but again, I didn't know about Wind Waker before this. So, Again, weird, because I had no idea what to expect from this record, while also understanding that there were expectations being set by others. Um, So there were four singles ahead of Love Language. The first was Beautiful, and my immediate response to that song was how much Will King's delivery on vocals reminded me of Vic Fuentes from Pierce the Veil, but he was able to, like... um, I guess, like, morph his voice to the strange uh, arrangement of Beautiful, for lack of a better way of phrasing that. Um, But at the same time, being able to have, like, this controlled calamity that perfectly blended with the metalcore and electronic elements of Love Language, or 
of Wind Waker, but I guess of Love Language also. Um, and on top of that, the chorus to Beautiful was hella catchy, and I felt that the idea of catchiness on the part of Wind Waker was only expanded on in the following single, Lucy. Uh, Lucy was my favorite of the singles, and I still stand by that. Um, I don't know if it's my overall favorite off the album, and we'll get to why that might be the case in a minute, but Lucy still hits so fucking hard every time I get to hear it. And Glow, the third single, had like this kind of varsity feel to it with how R&B-esque the verses felt in contrast to the explosive chorus that was able to get stuck in my head with more and more listens of Love Language. And then Superstitious Fantasy showed off some aggression that wasn't entirely displayed on any of the other singles. And there was this like um, new metal implementation into the metalcore style of Wind Waker, and I thought it just worked out really, really well. Um, I did mention that Lucy might not be my favorite song on Love Language after all, and that is because of me plus you, but mostly me. Even if that track doesn't do much in terms of innovation, it just has a really particular vibrancy to it, and I don't know if, like, I don't know if it's the more hard rock nature of that song as opposed to metalcore, but it just felt like the best instance of Wind Waker taking everything that makes them cool and amplifies all those characteristics. Um, and, you know, to kind of go back to what I said about Glow and apply that to Lucy, the chorus is catchy as fuck, dude. Like, insane. Just, um, staying power, I guess. Um, there are more songs that fall similarly in line with what I just said about Me Plus You, but mostly me. Um, like take Nighthawk, for example, which has some really gnarly vocal effects that give off electronic tones. And then on the opposite end of that, there is a song like Trenches that reminds me in a way a bit of the recent Monuments album that I talked about a few weeks ago. Not in the sense of like, it's as heavy as Monuments, but it just has that style of production while still being tame in some areas. Um, and then there was a two-song stretch that I want to highlight in the form of Silver Linings and the title track Love Language. When I saw the runtime for Silver Linings, I made the assumption that it was just an interlude. And you know, in some ways it is, but there is some real depth and story to what's happening here. Um, Silver Linings is a voicemail of a woman who is kind of rambling about like main characters and fuel and before she can really make any sense, um, the song is cut off, and you go right into this immensely somber track with lyrics like, I won't wait for no fate, butterflies don't know my way, cold to touch, I feel your face, dark clouds hurry, let's disappear. If this makes any sense, this feels like the song that Wind Waker had in mind when crafting the artwork, because like with the artwork, I see these two like mecha suit looking entities and it all just comes together perfectly through the title track and i kind of do wish that like the sequence of silver linings and love language had been the closer as opposed to the rain which is still a good song but you know that one two punch that i just mentioned like that genuinely left a mark on me and i want to I, I guess use that term to describe this record as a whole it left a mark on me so i gave it I, I think it was a nine. I don't think it was a nine and a half. I think I went nine out of 10. I probably would go bump it up to a nine and a half. I wouldn't go 10 because I'm going to talk about this in the same way that I did Silverstein and Alice in Wonderland. I think there is still room for this to be elevated. I don't think it has reached that perfect masterful status yet, but I have no doubt that this could become one of my favorite records of the year by the time the year is over. Love Language is a fucking success story. It is just, you know, again, coming into this record with like little to no expectations. Um, if I had expectations, they would have been exceeded, like fucking thoroughly ex exceeded, guys. I can't talk right now. I'm like, throat's all fucked up and shit. Um, Love Language is amazing. Wind Waker outdid themselves and... All of you, if you haven't heard it yet, please, please go show some love to Wind Waker. And now for the final record of this episode, Fear by Stan Atlantic. Past, 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 
So let's talk about Stand Atlantic as a whole before really diving into fear, which stands for fuck everything and run. Um, so they've been around for about a decade now, but they did not have a debut album until 2018. And that was skinny dipping. I have heard varying opinions before about skinny dipping, you know, some good, some bad. I would say I lie in the middle, but leaning more towards good. I don't think it skinny dipping was necessarily anything special, but nothing offensively bad either. Like not at all offensively bad. Uh, Pink Elephant in 2020. This was a, so this was a big one for me, I guess, because I remember the release date, August 7th, 2020. That was the same day as To Better Days by Slaves, now Rain City Drive. And if I'm not mistaken, Kaliuga by In Heart's Wake also came out that same day. Um, I dedicated all my time to To Better Days for like the majority of that weekend. And then once I put that record down, I got into Pink Elephant and what I heard off of that was an improvement and an expansion on skinny dipping, but it just still felt like Stan Atlantic were like right there. Like they almost had everything figured out. Um, with songs like Jurassic Park and Soap, I felt like this is where, at least at the time, I thought this band should have, uh, defined as like their lane. Um, and then there were some moments that maybe didn't really hit as effectively. So I like paid attention to Stand Atlantic and I was just hoping and wishing for them to, I don't want to say figure it out because that makes it sound like they had no idea what they were doing, but I was hoping for them to like, okay, skin dipping was okay. Pink elephant was good. I wanted whatever was coming next to be great. And if it was beyond great, then that would have been even better. And what ended up happening was they fucking nailed it with fear. They didn't just make a great album. They did not just make a perfect album. They made one of the best pop punk albums I have ever listened to in my life. I... I can't get enough of this record. I, I haven't been able to get enough of it for the last week. I can't imagine myself having enough of it, even listening to it for the rest of the month and the year and my life. Fear is going to stay with me. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, you know, talking about like the staying power of the record before I even get into the material. Um, I was looking at like the, the singles. So um, Death Wish by Nothing Nowhere was like the first hint of like, Stan Atlantic taking their pop punk style into something of like a more slightly aggressive direction. And Death Wish, it didn't sound like anything that I would have heard on Skinny Dipping or Pink Elephant. And for that reason, I appreciated it so much. Um, it, it was just like the, the perfect way to settle the listener into what would eventually be fear. Molotov, okay. The energy to that song, dude, the fucking momentum that it builds, like, that is just so, um, characteristic of, like, a veteran band, and I don't know if Stan Atlantic is actually there in terms of, like, their status, but they sounded so much better on that song than they had any fucking right to be, and now I'm gonna get into Pity Party, and there's a whole spiel that I can go on and on and on with regarding Pity Party, um... <clears throat> So this came out back in the middle of January, and I remember that week for Scenic Overlook, there being like a real internal discussion I had to have myself about what is going to go number one, because I ultimately chose The American Dream by Memphis Mayfire, and then number two was Lights and Fire by Wolves at the Gate, and then third was Pity Party. Did I fuck over Pity Party? Like, did I pull some ho-ass shit on that song that week? Possibly. Maybe. Because every time I hear Pity Party, I'm like just having again that internal battle like, bro, this is the song and you fucking know it. Not just the song from Santa Atlantic, but the song from the entire fucking scene right now. Like there is something about the cadence of Pity Party and the delivery of Royal and Serpent in the second verse that just elevates it to a status that like, I'm talking like my favorite songs from my favorite artists, you know, like I like Pity Party as much as my favorite songs from Paramore and Fall Out Boy and fucking Bless the Fall. Like, Pity Party is one of the best songs I've ever listened to in my life. And I can't 
fucking understand why I try to tell myself it's not. Um, what else do we have for singles? Hair Out, Switchblade, uh, Dumb featuring Tom the Mailman. That got single streaming early last week. They, d- they didn't miss. They never once fucking missed. Stan Atlantic took this singles rollout and just swung their dick around. It was fucking insane, dude. And then to go into the material that was not, like, singles. Doomsday. You open with Doomsday and just the vibrancy is there immediately. The pop punk sounds, the slightly, uh, you know, heavier, per se, nature of the band coming off a of Pink Elephant. Like, it's all there. You go into Van Gogh and... It's just like, how did this band figure it out seemingly so quickly? Because by the time this record was finished, we were probably about a year and a half post Pink Elephant. I think Death Wish was only like a few months after. So like they kind of, um, maybe you can look at this as being like a blessing from the pandemic and them not being able to tour. They were able to just quickly, you know, put this all together and make it the fucking powerhouse of a record that it is. Um... XO. God, dude, XO. I fucking heard that song and I almost shit myself. I'm, fuck. XO is one of those songs, and it took me a little bit of a minute to figure out exactly what it reminded me of, and if anybody's familiar with the song, maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't. Um, Sick Minded by Siler. It has that kind of, like, slow, daunting, but emotional feel to it that just, like, explodes once that chorus comes in. Um, and fucking, you know, it's not just that song, it's Blood Clot, it's Don't Talk to Me, it's Cabin Fever, which features um, Bonnie's literal fucking mum. It says so in the feature spot, my literal mum. Um, okay, what's the other one? Don't Talk to Me. Okay, I just gassed up XO, and I know XO is my favorite of the new songs from last week for Stan Atlantic, and then maybe Pity Party is my favorite song overall, but Don't Talk To Me is looking at me, and it's like, bitch, are you fucking kidding me? You're really gonna call these songs the best on this record when I fucking exist? It is insane, the amount of emotion and just, like, insanity, in a way, that fear is bringing out of me, because these are emotions that, like... I shouldn't be feeling over music. It's just music. So why do I feel this way? Why do I have this attachment to fear? And why is suddenly Stan Atlantic potentially the best pop punk band in the world, even with the knowledge that like, okay, State Champs is dropping this week. In Her Own Words is dropping at the end of the month. Who knows when Maggie Lindemann is dropping? Maybe September, October. Who fucking knows? Stan Atlantic might have like a legit claim to the best pop punk record already locked down, dude. It is mental what they did with fear and i'm kind of just rambling because like i i don't know where to begin or where to end and i feel like there is nowhere to end i feel like the conversation about fear and its excellence will not end you know theoretically it will end once i stop recording this episode but in the long run it's going to be something that i have a conversation with myself about regularly and i'm going to be looking at fear in comparison to some of the best pop-up records I've ever heard in my life. I remember uh, towards the end of 2021, I said Armageddon by Between You and Me was the best pop-up album I had heard since From Under the Courtship by Fall Out Boy. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's not Armageddon. Maybe it's fear. These are all just things that I have to just kind of live with and let marinate in my brain. But I know for a fact, guys, this record has a stranglehold on me that we're talking like I, I, okay, I didn't want to use this term because it might be overdramatic. This is bring me the horizon levels of my heart is clutched by Stan Atlantic and fear and the knowledge that this record is going to be vital and so important to me moving forward. And that's it. That was every album and single from last week that I had to talk about. Um, Very, very eventful week, not just musically, but also personally and... Personally, it's going to be eventful moving forward for a bit. And I said before, guys, you know, changes are coming and maybe there will come the day where I explain everything that I'm talking about, but just let me have my personal space for now. And I promise you guys, these uploads will still occur. Uh, as long as there is music, I will be there to review it. And that is what is important to me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, For better or worse, let's make a scene.